This episode of the show, we had Jonathan Dietz on. Uh, he had a really fantastic run in the Toyota Series Central Division, uh, really back in the spring, um, but I thought it was still worthwhile to have him on. Uh, just because he's from Pennsylvania, he really had no right to be down there doing as well as he did, um, and it turned out to be a really interesting interview. Um, he's a interesting guy. He seems like he's headed onward and upward in bass fishing, uh, which is a very cool thing. I also uh, found out after that he has like a zillion followers on TikTok, which I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, the be all end all, but I thought it was interesting. Um, so if TikTok's your thing, maybe he's your thing too. Um, I think Jonathan is going to be kind of the first of a few catch up interviews. Um, there's been some really cool accomplishments throughout the year that I just haven't had time to get to. And I definitely need to dive into some of them with some other folks. Um, but we will see how that goes. We'll see how much I fish. We'll see how busy tournament season is and all that jazz. Uh, but for now, here is maybe the next big thing from Pennsylvania. Alrighty, and now we are joined by Jonathan Dietz who I feel like did one of maybe the most impressive thing in bass fishing this year. Maybe not the most impressive. Nick LeBrun did just win two tournaments. But he qualified for the pro circuit out of the Toyota Series Central Division uh, in, I believe, third place overall. And he's like the farthest, well, maybe not the farthest thing, but you are not a Central Division Tennessee local because you're from Pennsylvania. And they were running like 300 boat fields. So I guess... Congratulations, man. You're crushing it. Thanks. I appreciate that. It was uh, kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision because I made the Bass Nation Regional last year, and it fell on the same day as the first Northern event on the Potomac. And I was like, man, I've wrestled with this decision for, like, weeks trying to make up my mind. I was calling people all over the place trying to figure it out. I, I eventually was like, you know what? I'm just going to do the Centrals. I was like, the only one I've ever fished before was Chickamauga, and I fished it as a co like three years ago, but I was like, forget it, it'll be fun, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, let's do it, you know, let's go for it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, no no doubt, because like, you fished the Northern Division in the Toyota Series uh, the last two years, 2020, 2021, you finished 13th in 2020, and that was like basically the Lake Erie only year. Um, yeah. And honestly, you did really bad at the Detroit River. Otherwise, you probably would have qualified to fish as a pro that year because you made two top tens earlier in the year. Um, yeah, that was a tough one because what happened was I cracked my haul on my boat on the second Erie event, had to run the day before the tournament started to go get a boat to borrow, had to call my one of my best friends, Jonathan Kelly. There was a spot in the bay that I wanted him to check out, and I was like, hey, can you check this out today? It's the only day that it's been nice to fish it. I got to go get this boat. And he's like, yeah, and he checked it, and he was like, you're good. And I was like, okay, sweet. So I picked the boat up, got back in the evening, and then went out and fished it. And I never even got to, like, drive the boat around to figure it out. I scared my co-angler to death because I was like, I sat in the boat, and I was like, 
you ready to go learn some stuff? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I've never driven this boat before. <laughs> um, you and, know, speaking of yeah, boats, so then we the should... Detroit River was tough. Yeah. So, wait, did, which... It was the second Erie event that you had never fished that... used that boat before in? Yep. Or the Detroit River was it again for the So I had never okay. used it in the second Erie event, but then I also had to use it in the Detroit River event. And I'm super blessed that the guy let me borrow his boat, but he had... I didn't realize it at the time because when I got done with the, the you know, the, well, the second Erie event, I gave his boat back and I was trying to find a boat before that event, but I didn't. So he let me borrow it again and I didn't realize that his batteries were old, like old, old. And uh, so when we got to the Detroit River, his trolling motor wouldn't go over 60 and, or else it tripped the breaker and the batteries were dead by like 10 o'clock every day. So okay. I was really, so is... I put all my eggs into the St. Uh, Clair basket. And we found some fish up there, but then the morning of, they closed St. Clair off. And I was yes, put into scramble mode, and yeah. Um, which is obviously not ideal from a, uh, I guess, you know, from a tournament perspective on the Detroit River if you don't have the juice, because you need juice on that river. Yeah, they hammered them. Um, tell me... Let's let's go back to your starting tournament. Uh, you fished the one on the bay, or well, out of Sandusky, made the top ten. What was the boat you were fishing out of then? Because you say that you cracked your hull. You it looked like you should crack your hull. If I remember that boat, yeah. No offense to that boat. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that was Rhonda. She was a 1996 Sprint. They never like they quit making those years and years ago. It was. Uh... I needed a boat to fish the college series my senior year, and they didn't tell me that. I was supposed to partner with this guy, and he didn't tell me he got a new partner until, like, January of the starting season. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I, like, ran around like a madman, found this boat in Buffalo, got it. And my family had never owned boats. I had never owned boats. And so we just kind of went into it blind. We got it home. I, like, waxed it, polished it, cleaned it all out, was, like, you know, kid on Christmas, like just going through everything, loaded up, and went to take it out the first time in the spring. And the guy had hidden the lower unit with the motor mount, and so that boat was kind of like we were films from before me for the. Long. It was continued through the Toyota series. That was that was insane. She was a good boat, but she was not meant for Lake Erie. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so this is a. You said '96. You had a. Johnson yeah. 175. How fast? How long yep. did, was it? How fast did it go? Honestly, it didn't go as fast as it was supposed to. I could only get it going like 60. Um, I had another buddy that had a similar model, same boat, like a 150, and he could go like 65. Wow. And we did everything we could. Well, we, we sent that to a marina like four or five different times to try to get him to figure out what the problem was. And they cleaned it out, and they're like, look, this is the best you're going to get with what you have. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I can get where I need to go. So, But it honestly kind of changed my practices for a lot of events because unlike the guys I was fishing against who had these $80,000 bass boats with, like, 60-gallon tanks, I had a 40-gallon tank, and I fished the BFL series the year before, and I only made it to two of the weigh-ins. I had to have Jonathan Kelly take my fish and my co-angler in for three of them 
<laughs> so oh I always, I never knew if it was if I was gonna make it back or not. So like uh, that, I never even ran to the lake. I don't think in that first. Oh no, I did run to the lake. I gambled that first event. But, so is this yeah, 2019 when you won AOI in the Northeast Division? Yeah, I only ever fished one BF one years in the BFL to the boater, and I won Angler of the Year. Golly. Yeah, so which, let's see, so Thousand Islands, Oneida, Champlain, Chesapeake Bay, Chesapeake Bay. Which ones of these did you need to get carried back to in? Uh, the first two Chesapeake Bays, I had to weigh in early because my live wells quit working at Oneida. So I had to weigh in by, um, yeah, that was, so the first two Chesapeake's I had to get carried, or had my fish taken back, and then I guess the third one I didn't have to get taken back, but I had to way in early because my live wells quit working and my smallest fish died and i had mm, like 16 pounds or 14 pounds right off the bat and i was like well that's it all right man that is uh that's incredible and now like you've got like this i mean you've got like a pretty nice nitro it's you got spot lock you got 360 like you got the whole shebang now like you've had a bit major come up yeah it was kind of cool honestly it was like a bit of a learning curve the first year i got it though because I put everything on it, and my dad made fun of me because I kept putting all this money into graphs and stuff, and I didn't have a lot of money at the time anyway, so I was, like, flying by the seat of my pants, just putting, like, dropping everything I had into it, because, like, don't worry, Dad, it's going to pay off, it's going to pay off, but then the first couple tournaments, like, was kind of a struggle. <laughs> I was like, he's like, I thought you were going to make all your money back, and I was like, I'm working on it, it's a work in progress. Was that 2021 when you had the new boat, and you were, like, actually all theoretically dialed in? Yeah. Theoretically, everybody was like, "You got this new boat, you got a new truck, you're gonna you're gonna kill it, right?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna win everything." Because <laughs> you gotta go into it with that mindset, or else I don't yeah. know why you go. You know, that's uh, I mean, it's a really good testament to the fact that you know the equipment does not necessarily make the angler. At the same time, man, it sure helps sometimes. Oh yeah, unless you're John Cox, then you just take the graphs off your boat and go fish everything that you can see. That is true, but it's worth noting that for the St. Lawrence, John has an Ultrex on his boat. He has Does he gone really? to spot lock for the Northern oh, Swing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so he officially, if he everyone's shallow water hero is no more, he's got spot lock. Probably no graphs, Dang. but he's got spot lock, so we're done with him. I feel like you'd have to have a graph up there, though, with all the islands and stuff. But yeah, anyway. I guess, you know, he just probably just sends it around him and just hopes he doesn't hit anything. <laughs> Um, gosh, that's a, I mean, it's, it's cool that you've got the full rig and it, it, and all that, but man, it was really cool. It was one of the highlights of that 2020, uh, season for me was just the fact that you were having so much success out of your boat. Cause I was like, who is this kid? He's like, I guess he would have been what, like 22, 23 then. And yeah. You're crushing it out of, you know, a tiny little boat that was old and in rough shape. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it was honestly really cool, but it was like those top tens were kind of terrifying because, like, you're sitting there with everybody else and you're looking at everybody else's rig and you're like, I paid, I think I paid like $6,000 for everything on my boat, like for my boat in general. And I was like, yeah, that guy's graph costs more than my entire boat does. You know, I'm looking at his tr like his entire electronic setup is like twice what my boat costs. I uh, I mean, I love it. 
I think it's beautiful. Um, well, honestly, the biggest reason behind that in that entire 2020 season was actually kind of John Cox. I fished with him in an open. I got paired with him when I was a co-angler. And so I had kind of talked to him on and off for a while. And one of my favorite quotes was by him. And it was, if you're not fishing it because you don't think you have the right boat, then you don't want it bad enough. Like, it's exactly what you just said. The boat doesn't make the angler. The angler makes the boat. If you put John Cox in any rig, he's going to catch fish. Yep. If you put, you know, Kevin Van Dam in a skiff on Grand Lake. Probably catch him. Say, he's probably going to win because he's going to know how to make the most of what he has you know and that was kind of my mindset going into it i practice different than a lot of those guys i never run and gun and it's still kind of my practice today because that's how i grew up was i look at a map and i look for areas that have everything you know i look for areas that have deep water close by that have shallow a ton of shallow cover you know ledges nearby rock piles depending on the fishery obviously so that when i went out for my practice day I knew I didn't have to run around. I could just idle over here, check this out, idle over here, check this out, because I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it back to weigh-in. So I picked somewhere close that had enough stuff that I'd figured out I could catch, you know, just enough fish to almost make the like make the top ten or, you know, whatever. But it just kind of changed how I fished. Hmm. When, you, when you went for that, uh, when you went after it in the Central Division this year, I guess, first of all, you started off, like, pretty solid. You got a check at Gunnersville, you finished 46th. There were, like, 7 million people in that tournament. Then you top 10 at Dale Hall. (laughs) Yeah. What, uh, as you were going through these, did, uh, did you get a lot more comfortable in either just a big-time tournament or fishing down south, kind of as you went along, or... Did you get down there and you just sort of felt pretty good from the get-go? Well, on Gunnersville, I had a buddy that lived there, so he kind of was like, talked me up before I got there, and I was like, okay. Like, that kind of helped me out a little bit, but nothing that he had told me about worked at all in the tournament. It was just me running by the seat of my pants, and it's a lot of grass fishing down there. It's, um, you know, on the Tennessee River anyway, and I... You know, in that BFL series, if you look at my results, I did really good in the Chesapeake Bay. I I love throwing a chatterbait. I love pre-spawn fishing. And so when I got down there, it was a lot of that. It was, you know, you know, I'd watch. I spend all my off time either working on tackle or watching old tournament history. So, you know, I knew Hank Cherry had just won on those stretches of riprap. And I knew on Gunnersville, there's so much of it that people get bored of it really, really fast. And so after fishing it for a couple of days, I was like, I knew I could catch him on a jerk bait. I knew I could catch him on a chatter bait. And those are two of my absolute favorite baits. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be all right here. If I cover enough water and I just honestly keep my head in, because in those big tournaments, most people are out of it before they even take off. They get there and see 340 boats and they go out and don't catch a fish for the first 20 minutes and they lose it. I was like, if I can stay calm and I can keep these baits in my hand that I know will catch fish, I'm going to catch fish eventually. And after that first Gunnersville event, it was kind of like you look at the roster of people who were there and not to say that I'm a better angler than any of those guys, but people who I had beaten in that event. And I was like, you know, I've been doing pretty good so far. And to come down to a lake I'd never fished before and do that, I was like, I was beating people like Jordan Lee and those guys that I was like, 
it really boosted my confidence. I was like, okay. And Dale Hollis set up a lot like Raystown, which is a lake near me that I, you know, when I first started bass fishing, that was a lake that, you know, through clubs and whatnot, we had a lot of tournaments on that. And it's literally identical to Dale Hollow, but it's a lot smaller. But it sets up the exact same way as far as the largemouth population, the smallmouth population. There's no spotted bass, but there's stripers in it, so it kind of balances out. Um, and going into that event, I felt super, super comfortable. And uh, through practice, I got less comfortable. I managed to find one. Like, I got clued in to how I made my top ten on two bites in practice. But really? <laughs> it, uh, yeah. So those fish were deep. Um, that water temp was like 50 to 54, depending on where you're at. And any guy that knows anything about bass fishing knows that is like pre-spawn. They should be pushing up. Like, this is going to be awesome. I was like finding these deep trees. Cause I love to fish a, jig, a football jig. I was like, I was finding these deep trees, these flats. I was like, I'm going to hammer them. And I was catching fish, but I was catching like two pounders. Maybe like I catch a three pounder every now and then. And then the one day I practiced, I was idling back into this bay to fish like the last bluff as far as like as it's going back into the pocket because that's what JT Kenny always told me to do on bass. Or, uh, um, uh, that, uh, what is it called? Bass, uh, bass UTV. And so I was like, all right, I'll go back there and flip a jig. And as I'm idling back, I look and I'm like, wow, there's a ton of bait in this pocket. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was like, those look like fish eating the bait underneath it. I was like, I'll get up and. I had a Demiki rig on deck because I'd watch enough, you know, footage of everything to kind of have an I, I knew how to fish deep, but I'd never done it before in that tournament. I had never fished like that. And I got up and I had it on like a 316 ounce ball head. It was, you know, just one of those little Z-Man, uh, little, little minnows. And I was like, all right, let's, let's figure it out. And I picked up, put my troll motor in the water and I'm looking, I'm like, man, those are fish chasing the bait right there. I had my panoptics on and, I pitched it out there, and this is no joke. I turned around, and I'm looking at my panoptics. I literally just made a blind cast. I had seen some stuff. I cast it out there, and it's just pendulum into the bottom. And I look over, and I was like, oh, those are fish right there, too. And, like, I was seeing fish that look like bass everywhere. <laughs> and I, all of a sudden, I feel a tick, and I reel up, and I hook the fish. And I was like, ah, probably a smallmouth. And it came up, and it was a largemouth. And I was like, it was like a three-and-a-half-pounder. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I made, I, so I started fishing around and actually using my scan optics this time. I pitched out to a fish and I watched it come right up and eat it. And I caught it and it was a smallmouth. And I was like, okay, now I got to catch another one. Because I was like kind of nervous. And there was yeah, because the smallmouth, for folks who yeah, don't know, like, smallmouth are kind of bad news on Dale Hollow. They're fun, but they're bad news because they have to be 18 inches in order. Was it 18? 18 inches. I thought it was 20 them, something. Oh, yeah, it is. It was 21. Yeah, because they had to be, be huge. giant to keep or tiny. There. Yeah, it had to be between 15 and 16 inches, or it had to be over 21. It was just ridiculous. And I was, I literally threw smallmouth out the window. I was like, I don't even care. Um, and there was three other boats around me in there, and I managed to shake all those those two fish off without them even seeing it. So that was cool. And then I ended up catching another one in like three minutes. It was like another three pound largemouth, and I was like, okay, this will be a starting spot. I had never Demetri rig before, and so as I got there. And first morning of the tournament, I get there, and there's like eight boats there. And I was like, whatever, we'll go around and we'll see what it's, what it's about. And it was kind of windy, and Austin Swindle was there. I know that because, like, we fished that entire pocket for the entire event, and we became good friends through that because there were three of us that fished that pocket. 
and we ended up, we were all super cool. Like, he would be like, oh, there's three in front of you. I'd cast at him, he'd cast at him, because we were trying to keep everybody else out. But I got there in the morning of the tournament, and I caught one pretty quick. It was like a three-pounder or a two-and-a-half-pounder, and I was like, okay, cool. And then I see Austin catch like a five, and I was like, all right, the quality's here. I didn't know they were that big there. I was like, sweet. And then I catch another one, and then I catch another one, and I got three, and it's like 9.30. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I lose a big one, and I catch a big one. And I was like, okay. And uh, as the tournament went on, I just, I lived in that pocket. I literally had to worry about my battery because I was just my ankle hurt from being on the troll motor, my neck hurt from looking down the whole event. That's amazing. Had you ever fished? I ended fished, up looking like... out in a way that I never thought it would, and I ended up learning this amazing skill because I use that all the time now when I go places. I'm like, I wonder if I can catch him doing this. So yeah. Neat. No, because, like, obviously, you know, fishing off your live scope is a really I know that was a lot of information to take in there. No, no, I mean, it's good. It's Fishing off your live scope is, like, a really important thing to do now. You know, there's... Spencer Shuffield is, like, building an incredible career not just because of live scope but you know in large part because of it for sure and i mean the fact that you could go down and pick it up that quickly is fantastic you know yeah like that whole fishery set up really well for it because of that deep clear water like i had been using it during practice i like to throw an alabama rig a lot that's one of my absolute favorite baits as far as that pre-spawn period goes and I was watching fish eat that. I had a really cool bite with that going on. So I had, I had it pretty dialed in as far as being able to see fish and see my bait. So I already had the settings pretty well dialed, but the whole Demiki rigging concept was completely new to me. Like, I had never caught a largemouth out of that deep of water before. And then to go there and catch every... I was like, it was, I was fishing 40 feet. And wow. we had had that conversation. We, we, you and I had talked before that, and you're like, I know the largemouth lives deep down there. And I was like, yeah. And that was like... When I got into that pocket and saw those fish, I was like, well, Jody did say the largemouth was deep down here. <laughs> Lo and behold. <laughs> yeah, they... Lo and behold, it, it worked. That's amazing. Um, what... So, how have you... Do you feel like you've gotten better at that since then? Because, obviously, like, oh, you can yeah. catch a smallmouth on, you know, on a Tamiki, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, they love it. It's, uh... It's kind of changed how I fished a little bit, honestly. Like, when I go to new places now, I I keep a Demiki rig or something like that on deck or a swim bait, and I'm like, I'm going to see if I can catch these fish. And I use it on Erie a lot, <laughs> just when I'm, like, panning around. But it's honestly kind of, it's a two-way street because you can get lost in that, you know. And I, you see guys do it on in these professional circuits all the time. Like, your Patrick Walters that goes out there and lives with that, but you can get burned with it. So I always have to keep it in my mind that, okay, I'm going to try it, I'm going to keep it on my deck, and I'm going to try it when I think it's applicable, but I'm also not going to get zoned into it. If it's not working right away or I don't think it's going to be a deal, I need to stop, reevaluate what I'm doing, and get back to, you know, something where I'm not trying to scope them out. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's, I mean, I guess it's like anything, you shouldn't, you know, bank your entire life on it, um, but yeah. it's definitely cool when it works. Um, yeah. And then... Your final one was at Chickamauga. Uh, it was, you finished 14th. Um, another huge field. You were at that point, like going into that, you know, you were in contention to qualify for the pro circuit. Like you, this was becoming a real thing. Um, what about for, for that event? Um, how did you end up catching them? Because, 
you know, Chickamauga, like, has some just world-class locals. Yeah, it was tough. Like like I said earlier, I had gotten to fish with John Cox in a bass, the, the actual bass open that he won down there. I got paired with him on day one, so I got to watch him go to Harrison Bay and catch all, like, his 26-pound bag. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the back. And it was fun because I pointed out, like, when we were sitting there fishing bluegill beds, he'd be like, if you see any, just let me know. And I'm like, this is John Cox. I'm going to do whatever this man says. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to step on his toes or anything. So having gotten to learn Harrison Bay a little bit, obviously it was like three, four years ago. So I, and honestly, I didn't even remember that much about it other than, like, how he, like, with a Sanko, you know, flipping all the isolated cover and stuff like that. So I kind of knew the area. And when I get to big lakes like that, especially really popular lakes, the, you know, they're called community areas for a reason. Like, there's a lot of fish there. So I got there, and I was like, I looked at Harrison Bay, and I said, the fish to win are going to be in this area. Whether or not I can figure them out is completely beside me, but we're going to, you know, get in this area, and I'm going to fish shallow, and I'm going to fish deep. And so I got in there, and I realized pretty quickly that there were still some fish spawning, and I shook a bunch of fish off on cypress trees, but, you know, I try not to focus on what other anglers do, but when you're fishing in a community hole type area, you have to keep that in the back of your mind because if I'm flipping cypress trees and I look around and everybody else is flipping cypress trees, I know that's not going to be a deal because it's going to get burned super, super fast. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, if these fish are in here, I, like after the first day I got a bunch of bites on cypress trees, so I knew there was fish in there and there was too much cover for there not to be fish in there, right? And, but I wasn't catching the quality that I wanted. I was catching like, you know, I might catch a three pounder here and there, but I shook all those fish off. You could just kind of see them. And so I was like, okay, there's all this shallow cover, but then there's this big flat, you know, there's these big mud flats in between everything. And I was like, what can I, there's gotta be something else going on. There's like some high spots out through there. So I spent an entire day just idling through there. And there's actually hard spots and like old house foundations throughout that entire flat. And I had found five or six of them that were just like, some of them would be rocks, some of it would be like old concrete pilings. They weren't very big. They were like the size of my boat. Mm -hmm. But I had found five or six of them that I could fish every day, and I would catch fish off of it every day. And it was something that not a single other person was doing. They were fishing some of the shallow bars and the ledges and stuff, and there was a lot of guys going around fishing cypress trees. But I would literally watch guys go down the bank, catch like some two-pounders, and then I would throw out just past where their boat was. And I was throwing a Z-Man Ned Rig, like the middle size one, not the big one, not the small one, um, just that in-between size, you know, because I'm a northern guy and I like to take smally secrets down south. And I would literally pull up using my 360. And the main reason that I did that was, you know, when you're fishing ledges, a lot of times your co-angler has just an equal shot of catching those fish as you do, especially in the morning when they're not pulling current. Those fish can spread out. Yep, yep, yep. With these, with these events that have co-anglers, I try to find something that I can fish without having to worry that my co-angler is going to catch those fish. I want something that I can make first cast at and not even have to think that he's going to have a shot. You know, they might catch a random fish here and there, but I want to put the ball in my court the best I can. It yep. might not be the winning deal, but it might be a deal that I know I can do really, really well and not have to worry about other people. And so with these foundations and these hard spots, it was only in like three feet of water. I would just pull up with my 360. I'd see where it was. I would talon down, and then I'd be able to make a pitch over there. And most oftentimes in the first five pitches, I got bit, usually first pitch. And 
So I had that was my main area. I had a shad spawn going on in the morning. There was a riprap wall that I could get on every morning with a jerk bait and catch spotted bass at will. There was like a ton of 12-inch spotted bass. So that kind of gave me some, like a settle down, you know, like, okay, you caught five. It's for like four pounds, but whatever, you can relax. There was a couple largemouth on it. You catch some 15 and a half, 16-inchers, but, you know, it was nothing I wanted to weigh in. But there was a lot of them. It was, and that's what I ended up relying the third day on was that. But, and then I had a spot in Dallas Bay. <laughs> there was like a little sneaky hole that there was like two hard spots back in this one cove that nobody else found. I don't know how they didn't find it, but they didn't. So the first day I ran to uh, Harrison Bay, started fishing my hard spots, caught, it was kind of slow at first. Then I caught like a two pounder and I was like, okay, we got one. And then I went to my main hard spots and I, cause you know, in practice, you don't really realize how good stuff is a lot of times. You kind of, mm-hmm. I shake a lot of fish off. Uh, I bend my hooks over. So I'll get bites. And, you know, the area I can get the most consistent bites and whatnot is usually where I end up going. But I'll keep other areas in the back of my mind, obviously. And I ran, down, I ran to Harrison Bay, caught, uh, you know, a two-and-a-half-pounder, then I caught a four-pounder. And I was like, okay, we are, we're going to be all right. And I caught a three-pounder, and I was like, we're really all right. Caught a couple of little ones, ran over to a, you know, it was a pretty community hole area. It was like just a, a hard spot on a point. Caught like a seven. And I was like, okay, now we're really doing all right. And uh, I had found a magical pocket up the lake a little bit. That In practice, when I found it, this is no joke, I was on the phone with my buddy when I found it, there was probably 20 fish in there that were four pounds plus. I had seen one that was probably eight. I had seen a bunch of sixes. And I had a long day that first day. And But everybody knows how those southern largemouth are on beds. Half the time they are like, impossible to catch especially on chickamauga because they get hit so hard and i had seen a lot of boats in there during practice so i was like okay it's kind of a community hole area if i get a good limit i might go in there and so i ended up getting that good limit right off the bat and then i went in there and right away i found you know a spawning pair that was like a three and a seven but i was like Dang. okay we're gonna... yeah i was like i'm gonna fish for these and i hooked the male pretty quick and went to flip them broke them off and i was like dang it because I had one that was still pretty little. And so I started fishing for the female. She knows that a couple of times. Male comes back, catch him. I was like, okay, sweet. <laughs> I, got a, I got a good limit now. I was like, that was my end, ending bag right there. And then I pitch back in there, and the female, like, noses on my drop shot. And I couldn't tell if she ate it, but it looked like she turned into it, and it looked like it hooked her on the lip. Uh-oh. But she, like, it was kind of iffy whether or not she ate it or not. But she, so she, I hooked her and she's like taking off. She's jumping, doing everything. It looked like she's in the mouth. So I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could have a mega bag. And she ends up coming off. But like I said, I wasn't super worried about it because I wasn't on it. She didn't come up and absolutely hammer it, you know? Yeah. So I think it was like there was one way fish in there that didn't get caught, but some guy lost it. So I kind of wrote that area off. And then the second day we had that, I had a shorter day. So I just ran those, those hard spots again and, you know, I wasn't catching giants, but like I said, I had that, uh, you know, that had almost made the pro tour my first, the last two years, you know, my first two years trying it. And so I had crashed, not crashed and burned, but I had kind of choked the last two years of it. And everybody, you know, you get that huge following of people that kind of support you. And so I'm like, man, I do not want to let these people down. And I really want to make this pro tour. So I was like, 
I know that my pattern is going away. I was like, I know I'm not catching giants anymore off of it, but I know I can get a good limit every day. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to make this pro tour. And that's kind of what I did. I just rotated through those spots every day, you know, that spot in Dallas Bay and was able to catch enough fish to make that final day. And, uh, you know, once I made that final day, I kind of knew it was over, but it was, it was pretty special to do it on Chickamauga just because for once I didn't choke because honestly, I never got a full day of practice at Chickamauga. I actually had my alternator in my boat go bad. Somehow the first day I was there, my alternator goes bad. And, uh, so I had to get off the water early. I got a new battery cause I thought my battery was shot, got back on the water. Then I went, you know, back out the next day, dies again. And I'm like, crap, it's not my battery. So I said, get off the water, go to a marina. They diagnosed, yep, it is your alternator. They were like, do not go back out on the water today. Your stuff is toast. And I was like, okay, crap, because they weren't open till later. Or I got there first thing in the morning, so I missed my first half of the morning and fished the rest of the day because I had charged it up. Then it took them a couple of days to get the part in. So then the fourth day of practice, I had to get off early. They had to change it. And they're like, yeah, your stuff is toast. Do not go back out on the water. You're, you will fry your system. And I was like, okay. And then that last day is like a half a day. So I literally got just a bunch of half a days of practice. Well, I mean, I know it, it, may, it maybe didn't add up as easy throughout the year, but you kind of made it look easy, which is incredible considering, like, who you beat. You know, if you look at the overall Central Division standings, you know, you beat Derek Remitz, who used to be on the Elite Series. You beat Laker Howell, who fishes those lakes all the time. And, you know, is kind of crushing life lately. You beat Josh Bragg um, and Josh Butler. Butler's leading AOI in the pro circuit right now. He's fished those lakes all his life. Like, you had, I mean, you beat uh, Casey Martin, who, you know, has had some pretty impressive history on Chickamauga. And, like, guides on Gunnersville. I mean, you had an incredible uh, season. Um, we talked about this a little, a little bit ago, but, like, kind of... What is, what do you think 2023 looks like for you? And I get, and I get that some of it's still up in the air. Well, 2023, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, last year, if you look at my tournament history, I fished the Bassmaster Opens there and got my teeth kicked in. And then I also fished the toilet. The Opens are very hard, but what I had figured out was I, I had traveled with Jonathan Kelly, who's on the elite series. Now he made it last yep. year, which is super phenomenal. I'm super stoked for him. But when I realized toward the end of the year, if you look at my tournament standings, my, as the year went on, I got better and better and better because I started to figure out that I don't like to practice with people. Uh, they get in my head, not on like trying to be that you like, they're not trying to get in my head. It just works out. We're talking to each other back and forth. And he's like, dude, I just caught a four pounder doing this. You know, we try to break it down together. Does it work for us the year prior in Sandusky? You know, we had kind of team, you know, tag team that to figure that out. And then I tried to carry that forward. And in the opens, it burned me. And on a couple of different lakes, it burned me in the Toyota series. I didn't have bad finishes, but I didn't, I wasn't living to my full potential because I wasn't fishing my style. Um, and it, the light bulb really clicked. I was fishing a home lake, and largemouth always play a really big role, and there's a lot of big smallmouth. It's kind of 50-50. And the smallmouth are usually my friends, and the largemouth usually kind of suck for me. So 
I was out there, as I usually do, trying to push the largemouth gig in the spring because I was like, man, I think it was right before Chickamauga. I was like, man, I'm just trying to get, I want to get these largemouth to go. And then I eventually was like, you know what? Stop fighting what you're good at. And I had kind of been leading up to this breakthrough the entire last year. And then, you know, this year obviously it worked out really good because I started fishing the way I like to fish. I don't care what anybody else says. You know, how many times do you hear it? these guys talk about their practice and they bomb? You know, it happened to me all year. Guys were like, oh, I'm crushing them. You listen to that doc talk and guys get in your head and they're like, oh, I'm crushing them doing this. I've been catching six pounders all practice. And then they don't catch but two keepers in the tournament, you know. And so being new to these bigger events, it took me a while to get used to that. It took me a while to, like, just practice around other people. Um, and so this year, everything really clicked, and I feel really, really good about it. I feel like I've been fishing really, really good. And so looking forward to 2023, you know, obviously I want to fish that MLF Pro Tour. I, qual- I qualified for it if everything lines up. Obviously I'm going to do everything I can to fish it, you know, make or break, whatever. I'm going for it. I get one life, I'm going to live it. But they better watch out because I feel really, really good. You know, after looking at, like, after you listed some of those people off that I beat, I didn't realize I beat some of those people because I, I honestly never look at where everybody else finishes or whatnot. I just, even after the first couple of days of a tournament, I don't ever look at where I finish for the most part. You know, I just, I'm like, all right, I caught this. The guy was leading it, have this. I need to try to fix something up to do this. Um, but every like, obviously I've been able to compete with these caliber people with having to worry about a co-angler in the back of my boat, with having 300-something boats in a field where I'm constantly having to share water with guys. You know, if you look at the Dale Hollow event, if I hadn't been around Austin Swindle and, you know, eight other guys, because there was a lot of guys popping through there, I'd have had a chance to win that event because there would have been a lot more fish in there that weren't getting burned. Right. You know, the Chickamauga event, I had a lot of guys that were fishing in there that were fishing a lot of my shallow cover. If there wasn't as many guys in there fishing that shallow cover, I could have probably popped another three-pounder, four-pounder, you know, some of those community holes wouldn't have been as burned. Those bedding fish wouldn't have been as burned. You know, I'm finding the right stuff, and I'm learning how to share it and how to fit outfish my competitors because I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but generally if there's a community fishing area and I find it, I usually am one of the top guys that, you know, come out of there. And I attribute a lot of that to, not many people know this, I used to fly fish competitively when I was in, uh, you know, from age like, 12 to 18 when I timed out I fished on the United States youth fly fishing team oh, so, like, so I knew you were uh, we were going to get to this but I knew you were like a trout guy I didn't know there was competitive fly fishing so I'm all in now I'm we got two more hours of this podcast let's go <laughs> um, so there's a youth team and an adult team and you literally travel to compete against all the different like a bunch of different countries like usually there's like 14 in the youth, youth division and there's like 20 something in the adult division um, the reason you don't know about it is because sponsors don't really get that heavily on board. They don't have the right people in place to promote it like bass fishing has gotten promoted. Um, so I grew up trout fishing all my life. I live on Lake Erie. I steelhead fish religiously all winter long. And uh, my grandfather loved to trout fish. All the rest of my family trout fish. So that's what I grew up doing. You know, when I first, you know, heard about the youth fly fishing, I got in on that. And so I grew up, the way they work those tournaments is you have different rivers, which they call venues. And they create beaks, which are just pieces of water that you have to fish. And so on, you know, say Spring Creek and State College is one venue. Then you got like all these different creeks. They'll have like 10 beaks, you know, 10 individual stretches of water. And you get assigned each individual Is that like a, 
Is that like a hundred yard stretch, a half mile stretch? It varies depending on the fishery. Most times okay. they're like 150 yards, maybe 200 yards. Some rivers, if they're bad, they make them bigger. If the rivers are really good, they make them shorter. You know, it depends on how many people are in the tournament, that kind of deal. But uh, so the only session that you get fresh water is the first one. And generally there's there's five sessions. So you get, you know, two sessions one day, two sessions the next day, and then, or it's usually like two, one, two. Uh, so what you end up having to do is, you know, like I said, the first session, you get a new piece of water. You can go through and you can pluck all the easy fish because nobody's been allowed to fish these venues. You get practice water that you're assigned, you know, these different creeks that you're allowed to fish, but you nobody's allowed to fish the tournament waters. Mm-hmm. So that'd be kind of like you can't fish Lake Fork, but you can fish one of the adjacent lakes to it. And then the tournament, you have to go to Lake Fork. So in practice, we're allowed to fish all these different rivers. So you get kind of an idea of what's going on, what bugs are hatching, what the trout are doing. And then you get put on this entirely new piece of water. You get on a piece of water you've never, like you can kind of go and look at the venues and you can see how it lays out, but you're not allowed to fish it. So you don't really know what's going on. So you get there, you have to break it down. You look, you, you get there early, you walk through your, you know, on the bank, your entire beat, figure out what you're going to do, get a game plan together, but your session's only three hours. So you get there a half hour before because they bus you to and from every event. So you get 15 minutes to look at it. Then you get three hours to fish it. You have to, every fish that you catch, you have to net it. Yeah, all hooks have to be barbless. You know, you're only allowed three flies. All your flies have to be 20 inches apart. Um, generally, you fish one or two. Unless you're on a lake, then you can fish three. But, uh, like, I can I can net the fish, and then I have a controller who's watching me 24-7 who I have to, I can't touch the fish. I put it in the net. I take it over to him. He unhooks it. He measures it. They measure everything in centimeters, and then they write it down. You initial it, kind of like they do MLS. Okay. And uh, then you let it go. And so after that first session, I'm constantly having to figure out how to catch fish behind people. And that was like how I grew up fishing these, you know, these fly fishing tournaments was sure. The first days, the first beats really good. You can catch all the dumb fish. But then after that, you are constantly having to look at everything and go, okay, this would be really easy for somebody to fish. What would be harder for people to get to? What would people not want to do? what can I do to differentiate myself? And that's kind of why I like fishing these community areas because I know there's a lot of fish in there or else there wouldn't be a bunch of boats. I'm usually really good at going, okay, if you look around, you can go, everybody's doing this. Well, if everybody's doing this, like in Harrison Bay, everybody's fishing the bank. Okay, well, these fish are only going to take getting their heads kicked in so many days in a row or so many times before they find something else that's nearby because they don't want to leave. It's May, Chickamauga, they want to spawn. They're, they just spawn, you know, they're recovering or getting ready to spawn. They're going to be close by. What are they going to do? And so I found those hard spots. It's just taking the time to idle it and look around. And same thing with Dale Hollow. Most guys were fishing drop shots. They were fishing A-rigs. Uh, most people were fishing the bank. I was like, okay, if nobody's, like, if I can't get a bite on a big jig and a brush pile going down through these pockets, and when you looked at the lake, everybody was doing the same thing. I was like, what are these fish going to be doing, you know? So just that background has kind of played in a lot to especially at sandusky if you look at how i finished at sandusky that relates entirely to that i had found a largemouth area you know that i relied on pretty heavily this almost solely the second event and a lot the first event that there was a lot of boats starting in there but i was kind of the king of that area because i everybody was going through throwing a chatterbait a swim jig a frog a spinnerbait and i literally just went behind guys with a drop shot and raked them in 
like I had a limit in the first 10 minutes versus everybody else struggling. So that just general thought process to know how to outcompete other people and know how to adapt to and so if I, you know, when I make, obviously I've made the pro tour, but going into these bigger events, obviously I've been able to handle the stress pretty well this year so far. I've competed against the same guys that are on the pro tour already. So there's nothing new there. And I'm obviously I'm going to have a little less time to practice, but this year I kind of had less time to practice anyway on Dale Hollow, by the way, I forgot to mention, I blew a lower unit the day before the tournament started. So I had to drive three hours one way to get a new lower unit, have them put it on the day before the tournament started, get a new lower unit put on, break it in on Cherokee Lake because I didn't have time to drive back and break it in before the cutoff. And then I had to drive back. So I didn't get back till like 10 o'clock that night. <laughs> Golly. Uh, oh yeah. If I get like, if I break something or like if I have a rough practice, I know I'm going to do good. <laughs> like, my first, like my top 10 on Sandusky, the first one was nothing really bad happened. The second one, I broke a boat, had to go get a boat, ended up finishing like ninth. Then the last couple events I've had here, like if I break something, things work out. And so when I went to Chickamauga, the first day of practice, I figured everything out pretty quick. Like all the areas, most of the areas I caught fish on, I had found the first day. And my buddy called me, he's like, how's it going? And I went, it's going really, really good. It's going too good. And that's when my alternator gave out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh, kind of like maybe that was your problem happen. with the opens did anything yeah. break in them no honestly nothing broke in any of the opens maybe that was my problem that's your issue you you need to start sabotaging yourself <laughs> you need to like let Not a little the... air out of your tires every morning just you know stuff like that <laughs> gunner gunners know i got a flat tire the one day after practice i had to get it like change a tire that was oh i had a gunnersville i also had my hot foot break the spring that retracts your hot foot came off like broke when i was running 70 miles an hour down the middle of the lake so i had to like have an oh crap moment reach down and pull it back with my foot before i like did anything stupid which was pretty easy but now the opens what really happened there was we were staying with five guys because it made travel easier it made financially everything easier oh yeah and I had never been in a situation where I had stayed with a bunch of people before and, you know, everybody's talking about how it's going to get one. Everybody's talking about their practice. Everybody's talking about how they're catching them. I was practicing with Jonathan Kelly. Like I had said, we were trying to dial everything in there together. And I just found myself doing things that I wouldn't do. You know, typically I'm a fish pretty close, find something sneaky that most people aren't going to find kind of person. And I ended up doing things that, weren't my style and as the year went on I started to realize that and I started to compensate for that and then toward the end of the year we finished up on the Potomac and at MLS I really started to just completely ignore not ignore him but ignore what he was doing like when he started talking about how he was catching him I almost had like a monkey with symbols in my head like just completely not even paying attention to it because I knew it wasn't wasn't going to help me it was only going to hurt me and I just kind of took that into this year like when I travel for these events I travel alone I generally sleep in my truck during practice. I keep a mattress and like a cooler and a generator. I have everything that I need to practice. And what I do is I literally just bounce from ramp to ramp because I don't like having to waste time driving. You know, if you're staying on Gunnersville and no matter where you're staying, if you want to practice sections of the lake, some of that's like an hour away. 
by oh yeah truck. that's a big lake so what i found is i like being able to have a decent amount of sleep every night and the best way i found to do that when you're practicing dark to dark is when i get off the water i already have an idea i said okay i fished this part of the lake today tomorrow i want to hit this part of the lake i might not know exactly what i'm going to fish but i know that's the region i want to fish and so i'll just get in my truck then when i'm awake i drive down there get there find a boat ramp park at the boat ramp hook my generator into my boat and then i sit there and look at maps i don't have to have any chit chat with anybody i can just look at maps get my stuff figured out let my boats charge i can sleep in for the most part because i'm already at the ramp it gets late at six o'clock i don't have to get be up till like 5 20 because i'm literally there so i was the first guy at every boat ramp throughout the year and uh, then for the tournament, I get a hotel or, you know, generally a campsite that's like a half hour away. So that way I have somewhere that I can go back to. I can shower. I can not have to worry about my stuff getting stolen. Not have to worry about police waking me up in the middle of the night telling me I can't sleep there. Um, that kind of gig. Nice. It sounds like it sounds like you're pretty dialed and you are kind of like... It, it sounds like you've put together a really unique system that's working for you which is really cool um yeah and like I, I mean i guess it remains to be seen how it'll work at the next level but it's certainly working now and i don't really see any reason it can't work at the next level you know what i mean yeah for sure wow got some intense dog action here going on you um, some dog fights over there i my sister just started to feed them and i think if i had to guess uh, one of them is less than happy about how another one is interacting with food. Would be my <laughs> guess. Nice. Uh, there's currently four dogs at the house. Um, oh boy! Only That's two fun, of which I'll... live here normally. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. Um, this fall you've got the it's the Bass Nation Championship coming up, which gives you, I, I believe, which potentially puts you on the elite series with like basically bass paying your way um yeah if you win that if you win that which i guess that's like what maddie wong what his situation is was uh justin kerr a couple of years ago i think like if you win that i'm wrong like yeah yeah like if you win that you're fishing the elite series it's stupid not to right yeah absolutely um that said probably going to be hard to win um oh yeah you're if you don't win it do you feel like you're prepared ready to go for the pro circuit financially not necessarily but everything else wise absolutely you know everybody always laughs at me when i started fishing these they're like if you make it how are you going to pay for it and my answer was always well i'm going to figure that out as i go along because you know any day could be your last literally you see it every day in the news somebody wake doesn't wake up the next day whether they're 26 years old perfectly healthy you know you could get in a car accident that takes your life you know i don't i was talking on my talking on the phone the other day and i said if i have to live every day financially secure but knowing there's something else i'd rather be doing then i'm not living the way i want to live i said i would rather wake up every day chasing my dream going check to check but having the time of my life doing it and doing something that i'm absolutely passionate about you know i've always loved the quote that how would your younger self look at you today you know, and I think my 12-year-old self would look at me and just be overjoyed at what I've been able to do and what I'm doing now, you know, as far as competing with professionals and doing pretty good at it and actually making a dream come true. 
Um, so as far as being set mentally, absolutely. I'm, I'm ready to compete against these guys and I'm ready to travel the country. And, you know, obviously things aren't going to go the way you want it to. Nothing ever works out perfect, but so far I've, you know, no matter what life has been able to throw at me, whether it's broken boats, broken lower units, flat tires, you know, financial instability, no matter what it is, bad tournament finishes, it doesn't matter. You know, you just have to have that mindset that no matter what happens, I'm not quitting. It's everything could go wrong, but you better believe that tournament day, I'm going to be on the water and I'm going to be giving myself the best chance that I can, whether it's trolling around to try to catch fish, you know, whether it's running a hundred miles one way to catch fish, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do everything I can to try to win those tournaments. Nice. Um, so you, how did you catch the bass fishing bug originally? Because if you grew up trout fishing, and it, I think that you said you work in like a machine shop now. Like, there's not necessarily a direct line to, you know, becoming a tournament bass angler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even so, from Pennsylvania, grew- like, there are some tournament anglers from Pennsylvania. Uh, like Becker is one of them. Uh, Lefebvre, I guess. But like. It's not a super, super common thing. No. So, uh, I'm here in Cory, Pennsylvania, and I live on a farm, and we've had a bass farm my entire life. So, I've always grown up fishing for bass, but never, like, I never got Bassmaster Magazine. You know, you see these guys on the elites on MLF that talk about, they've watched the Bassmaster Classics when they were six years old and whatnot. For whatever reason, since my entire family trout fished, that thought never even popped into my head that that was the thing. I had never realized it. You know, I used to go up and buy whatever lures from Walmart and catch bass out of my pond. And, but that's where I lived. I lived in my pond and I would, you know, on summer day, every day after school, I would go up there and I'd fish for bass and I would catch as many as I could on like a wiggle wart that I happened to find until they quit eating it. And then I'd switch to, you know, whatever I could find. I never had, like, I didn't realize what a Sanko was till I was like a freshman in college. Um, but like I told you earlier, like sitting down in my freshman orientation, I looked at the guy next to me. His name's Colton Higgins. He's my best friend to this day. I was like, you guys fish? And he was like, yeah. And he kind of, one of my favorite moments that I'll forever cherish was, you know, as a kid who wasn't necessarily around a lot of people that fished, I was always that, that weird kid that fished a lot. Um, if you ask anybody that I grew up with, that was, you know, that was it. Most people have like an aha moment when they figured out they wanted to fish or they liked to fish. I came out day one liking that. I never had an aha moment. It's just my dad's college friends still make fun of me to this day. When they first met me, my line when I was like three was go fishing. Like, want to go fishing. Um, <laughs> so I've always fished. And when uh, I met Colton, he was like, yeah, come on over to my place. Like, there's some ponds around here. Like, let's go bass fishing. I was like, I got to warn you, I got a lot of bass fishing tackle. Meanwhile, I had like one tackle box full, you know. <laughs> but to everybody else around me, that was a lot. And so I showed it to him and he was like, this is all you got. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that's it. And he's like, you don't even have any like football jigs. You don't have any Sankos. You don't have like, I was like, what? And, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Know, oh, it was, I was like, what do you mean? And he, so he just started to kind of show me everything. He showed me what he had and it was like three, three times that I had probably. And I was like, okay. I like, I'd never used a bait caster before. I didn't buy my first bait caster until my freshman year of college might even been yeah i think it was my freshman year it was either my first semester or my second semester i can't remember 
and that was my second semester because that's when the smallies started coming in Presque Isle Bay and we would go fish off like the pier up here and catch a bunch of them but uh so he kind of showed me that and so I just slowly kind of to just fall in love with it you know we still had fish a lot up here and that's what we that's what we did for the most part but we did a lot of pond hopping we did a lot of fishing off piers and I kind of got introduced to it there and I was like okay this is something really cool and he like showed me the tbf that he fishes with and i was like you can do that and he was like yeah like this is this is a viable deal like people fish tournaments all over the place all these bass boats you see like these guys all bass fishing i was like whoa i never even thought about that and uh just like man look at these boats i wonder what they're doing (laughs) yep yeah my sophomore year my grandfather ended up passing away from cancer and it was kind of like uh kind of killed a lot of the trout vibe that i had because that was my entire childhood was like i'm i was basically reincarnating the reincarnation of him like when you look at old family photos we're the same person and uh okay so when he passed away the rest of my family quit trout fishing and i didn't trout like i still trout fished a lot but nobody else did and then all of a sudden i had all these new friends that bass fished so it was kind of like the next route you know i was like okay if nobody else is fishing anymore i'm gonna go to these people that do and I started going with them and they started showing me and I was like, Whoa, this is really cool. My buddy Colton is insanely competitive. So whenever we fished, he was like, I got three, you have one. And I was like, (laughs) all right, I like, I don't know anything right now. Like leave me alone. And, uh, so from that moment on, I spent every moment I had learning about it. Um, there was Snapchat videos of me casting in the quad at Penn state Baron. And when I went to Penn state main campus, because I'd never fished a baitcaster before, right? So I was trying to learn it, and I would go out in the yard and just, like, throw my hat, throw, like, a couple, like, my shoes, and I was just practicing flipping. I was practicing casting, whether it was distance, close. I was like, I need to figure out how to do this. I was like, because I was fishing as a co-angler, and I was like, I can't get first crack at these fish, but if I can learn how to cast better than these guys, then I have a viable shot at catching fish that they can't catch. And so I just started practicing everything I could, and then I went to Penn State, Maine, my junior year and i figured out that they had a bass fishing team and i was like okay that's pretty sweet so i got on that and you know i didn't you have to have like enough tournament team points in order to fish on the tournament team and obviously i didn't have that because most of those other guys had been down there and they already knew what to do and they had boats and whatnot and uh so i just started fishing you know these random events that i could fish i would honestly this is something i, I i'm pretty proud of i would go to boat ramps i would just like if I didn't have anything going on on the weekends, I would just drive to these boat ramps and I would get there first thing in the morning and I would hang out and I would just fish around the boat ramp. And whenever somebody pulled in that they were by themselves, I'd be like, Hey man, are you fishing by yourself? Like you need somebody back in? And they'd be like, yeah, you want to hop in? I'd be like, absolutely. And so I would just go back these guys' boats in and then I'd hop in and we'd go fish for a day. And no kidding that's awesome some, some of these guys still call me today like hey are you in the area i'm like no i live four hours away now <laughs> um <laughs> i would i would go to like these little trolling motor only lakes guys would be going down the bank by themselves I'd be like, hey man are you fishing by yourself and they'd be like yeah hop in like, all right sweet so i just used to bum around with all these people and uh then i got a text one day that was the sand the first sandusky event for college series was coming up and the one kid needed a partner he's like we don't have anybody else that'll do it is there any chance you'd be willing to do it? And I said, yeah, what do I need to do? And they're like, well, you have to do a membership and you'd have to drive here and we'd have to do this. I said, all right, done. I got it. I'm like, You're, you'll do it? I was like, yeah, I don't care how much I got to pay. I'm doing it. And so I went and I fished that one and we only waited two fish. Like, P- 
people always joke about me being good at Sandusky Bay because I had those two good Toyota Series finishes. My best finish up to that point was like 45th out of 60 boats. Like I never even had had a limit before out of Sandusky Bay. <laughs> so I honestly hated that place until I got there out of my, like, and I had fished obviously more events by the time I got there for the Toyota Series. And I was like, oh man, I was an idiot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I fished that college series event and then I literally just spent, like I can't say it enough, every minute of every day that I wasn't in school working on my schoolwork, because obviously that came first. I was spending more money than I had on tackle because I was watching all these Wired to Fish videos, watching all these Bassmaster Live. I watched as many old videos as I could find on YouTube. That's what I spent all my free time doing. I didn't go to parties. I didn't, you know, like I said, I never even went to a tailgate at Penn State. I know the closest I came was walking through it. In fact, one time I was coming back from fishing and everybody was leaving and I couldn't make it to where I needed to park because there's so many people. And I sat in the parking lot and rigged rods because I had just fished with that day. That's um, amazing. <laughs> and so I just started doing everything physically possible. And, you know, I went to school for fishery science on the sole purpose that I thought it would help me catch fish better. <laughs> I was like, I want to work in a fish hatchery when I get older and I want to, you know, this is what I want to do. And after realizing what I could do, I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to fish now. So I put more time into school and more time into fishing, as much time as I could into fishing, and I graduated in three and a half years, so that way I got out of semester early and could fish more. And I got back to the shop where I started, you know, working, and I was like, Dad, can I work part-time and do this and that? And he was like, yeah. You know, my parents have been super supportive throughout the entire adventure. You know, if I need anything, they're like, yep, I got you. Don't worry about it. You're good, because they see how passionate I am, and they see how hard I work, you know. To this day, I work an early shift because it allows me to get off work earlier. So when I work 4.30 to 2 right now, and then when I get out of work, I generally am either going to fish, I'm shooting YouTube videos about fishing to try to gain, you know, social notoriety, or I'm shooting like TikToks, or I'm working on tackle or something like that. Like I don't, like I don't spend a lot of time outside of work or working on fishing doing anything else. It's just... It's an, it's an obsession. You know, you listen to all these guys talk about it. And, you know, that first year in the Opens, when I got my teeth kicked in, you listen to all these pros talk about what it takes to become a professional. You know, you hear about these guys designing their own baits, pouring their own baits, spending hours and hours and working on tackle, putting all this extra time in. And there's that part of you that's like, there's no way it takes all that. You know, everybody writes it off. They're like, no way. But then you start fishing against it. And... You start fishing against these guys that are on a whole other level. You know, you talk about fishing a chatterbait, and these guys can tell you how their chatterbait runs with 12, 14, 16, and 20-pound line, what rods they like to run in the spring, the summer, and the fall, what gear ratio reels they're going to use, what trailers are going to do what. They know how deep each trailer runs and when to switch up for which, when to change for what conditions. You know, the jackhammer is louder than an original you know they know what it sounds like because they get in a pool and they listen to these things run that's how dialed in these guys are so that they can get to a situation look say okay it's a little calmer i'm not going to throw that jackhammer because i think it's too loud um and once i got my teeth kicked in enough times by these pros on the elite series because that first year those those toyota series i did really good but they were pretty you know they, they're pretty slack fields 
you know, I did really good and I'm proud of it. But there was like 100 Those guys. Those were not huge tournaments. Time. They were. <laughs> no. Yeah. They now, were, granted, they like. They made that other division. Yeah. Like, Go ahead. Well, so, I mean, Kurt Mitchell won one of them, right? Like, Kurt Mitchell's yeah. really good at fishing. Dobson won one of them. The guy's incredible on the Great Lakes. At the same time, like, I think Troy Stokes might have made three top tens. And yeah. I like Troy a lot, but as a pro, he's not been exactly like lighting the world on fire. So there was opportunity to do, there was a lot of opportunity, let's say, in in that season, you know? Yeah. And looking at it, you know, at that Detroit River where I, I honestly choked, I was leading the, I was tied for the lead in the ALY race as a kid who had never fished any of these big events before, you know. I was super stoked to have the opportunity, but it was honestly eating me up inside. I was like, I'd never been around that kind of pressure before other than like competitively fly fishing. And I was like, I have a chance to change my entire life. And I choked because the pressure amounted on me. I was, this is no joke. I was calling my mom and my dad and anybody else that would listen during the day. And my mind was not in it. And like, I was calling my mom like twice a day in tears. Cause it like you get out on St. Clair and not having, pan optics on my boat using somebody else's boat who had two electronics on it it wasn't my setup the trolling motor was dead by 10 30 it was all eating away at me and i was watching this opportunity slip through my fingers and my mental aspect of it was going even further and another thing was like i get seasick i have to take dramamine oh, gosh and I, yeah and so the it was windy all practice and I was putting every day on St. Clair because that's where we were convinced it was one out of. Again, I was fishing with John Kelly. We were trying to break down that lake together. And there was two days that I had to get off the water at like 11 o'clock because I was throwing up and I couldn't handle it. So I was calling my mom like twice a day crying. And I was like, I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't find fish. And then when they canceled St. Clair, where the only place that I had fish, I was like, I had literally had like one spot in the river and ended up being a community hole. And I had never drift fished before. And I couldn't because this guy's trolling water wouldn't allow me to do it. Again, I'm super thankful that he let me use his boat because without that, I wouldn't have made the championship and whatnot. But I was looking at it, and I was like, everything was weighing on my mind, and I'm so glad that I didn't make it <laughs> because I was 150% not ready for it. You know, like I said, those are those are some pretty slack fields. You know, obviously, it was still tough for me at the time. But looking back at those, I was like, I probably could go into those both of those tournaments now and have, like, finished top three knowing what I know now. And even the second year, I'm glad I didn't make it. I think I was more prepared. But this year really showed me that, because here's another thing that I did was, the last two years, I love to hunt. I love turkey hunting in the spring. I love archery hunting and you know rifle hunting in late muzzleloader season. I love steelhead fishing. I love traveling to go to all these places to fish. I've basically given up on 90% of that. I haven't gone turkey hunting in a year and a half. And if I did, I went with my brother and my dad and I called. I never even actually hunted. And, you know, I went like once or twice. And I have completely given up on archery hunting and pretty much deer hunting in general. I sold my bow. I, I like, I bought a $1,000 Matthews and my dad laughed at me and called me an idiot multiple times because I bought it in the spring, shot it, hunted for it, or hunted with it for one year. That was two years ago, I think. And then I sold it. I was like, you know what? That was I was like I needed extra cash to fish the open. If I was going to fish both divisions, I was going to have to work a lot, and without making cuts, I was running really low financially. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it, so I sold my bow. 
sold my bow. I sold like all my hunting things. I was like, this isn't a priority in my life right now. I was like, you know, we have a hunting, hunting camp where all my family goes, all my family loves to, loves to deer hunt. And all fall, they're like, Hey man, are you coming down to camp? I'm like, no, I can't. I'm going fishing this day. Hey man, are you coming down to camp? No, I'm not. My buddy's like, Hey man, you want to go steelhead fishing? I'm like, no, I, you know, I got to learn how to catch fish in the fall. I was like, I need to figure this out. I need to figure this out. And so giving up on all of those different opportunities and those different hobbies that I had, like I used to really, really enjoy weightlifting. I still do. I used to competitively do it. Um, and I, I love the feel of weightlifting. And I had to look at that and I was like, man, if this fishing gig is something I really want to do and it is, I don't have the longevity by powerlifting. I was like, I'm putting a lot of wear and tear on my body by picking up all this heavy weight. I'm going to be sore for tournaments because I'm lifting a lot. I was like, I have the potential to tear a bicep, tear, you know, any kind of ligament anywhere in my body. I could break my wrist. I could do any of these things because we were lifting pretty heavy weight. And I was like, I have to give that up too. I said, there's, there was literally one day when I was at state college, I gave it up twice. I, the first time <laughs> I gave it up, I was in state college and this is no joke. I was in the middle of a set. I was curling and it was just like one of my accessory days. I was in the curling rack and I was curling and it was in, uh, I think it was in the fall when I just figured out they had like the college series series. It was like my senior year. I was like, you know what? If I want to do this, I can't be doing this. And I literally went up, racked the weights in the middle of my set. My buddy looked at me, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm done. And I walked out. And then the next time was like, I got back into weightlifting again, like lightly this fall or like this over the winter time because everything's frozen up here. And I just, it's a way to keep in shape, but like now I just run. Now I run and I do like push-ups and pull-ups because like just on the side in the evening when it's dark out, I'm like, I have to stay in shape to be able to handle, you know, doing what I'm doing. But the powerlifting gig isn't where it's at because I won't be able to do it as long as I need to do it. And I'm going to be hurting myself. So it was like all these different things that I had to give up because I knew all these guys that I watched, the Brandon Pollock, Jason Christie, Kevin Van Dam, these guys that are legends. I was like, this is something they're not doing. You don't look at these guys and go, oh, they're a powerless on the side. Or like you look at Brandon Pollock, and sure, he does like a lot of the hunting, you know, sometimes in the off season. A lot of these guys do a lot of hunting in the off season. But the guys that are truly amazing don't put their – like you look at how Brandon Pollock's career has changed in the last four years, um, how he has gone from – you know, they called him the prodigy, but he won an event here and there. Yeah. You know, he wasn't now he's necessarily basically in every now top three. Yeah. yeah. If you look at any event they go to, and if you look at his off season, you don't like he might go elk hunting once or he might do something like this, but it's all fishing. You know, this guy, these guys live on the water. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I can't be doing these things on the side. I need to be doing what I need to do in here. Like I started making my own baits. I started making my own, you know, I get all these molds. I started like, I have a fish tank. I test baits and I go practice baits in these ponds. Like I have a bunch of different ponds and I have, I'm very lucky that I have Lake Erie near me. That's half hour away or 45 minutes. I have Chautauqua Lake, which sets up exactly like Cayuga or Oneida half an hour from me. And then I have the Allegheny Reservoir, which is like a small version of Lake Cumberland. And then I have a smattering of like the small Allegheny river, it gives me a lot of, you know, history with really shallow fish, like river fish, smallmouth. And then I just have like a couple other smaller lakes. Time to crew It's like shallow flipping 101. Um, this last weekend we won a club tournament. 
strictly fishing, like flipping heavy grass in the lily pads. And so I've been able to find these different people that set up in these different locations. And I have all of this within like an hour and a half. So I've just, it, I've never felt more prepared than I have now. And I say that every year because, you know, having given up these different opportunities, I was like, my dad asked me, he's like, okay, now that you've made it, are you going to start hunting again? I said, absolutely not. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, look at the jump I made from last year to this year as far as my tournament finishes and like my confidence in everything. I was like, you look Imagine at how I can did make last it again. Year. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, if I can keep doing what I'm doing, I said, my routine's right. I said, I'm doing the right things as far as social media goes and as far as on the water goes, I'm doing the right thing. I said, if I give it more time, imagine how high it could go. And granted, I know there's going to be low points. Like, I know I'm going to get into some of these tournaments only having two and a half days of practice, and I might not find anything, and I might struggle. But in that struggle, you learn. Like, the only way you learn anything is by failing. And if you, you look at Kevin Van Damme's career – and I can't remember the exact, the exact statistic. He won like 20% of the events that he fished. But he's also bombed several events. And that's just how this game is. Like if you win 5% of the time, you're a legend. You know, there's so much humble pie that gets served in this sport that I've like, and I think that's where a lot of people struggle is they get out there and if it's not working out, they instantly spin out. You know, if they get day one and, by noon they don't have any fish that's freaking out it's like you have to expect that coming into this because taking it from a toyota series event where i put five days on the water for practice and then it's only a three-day event versus two and a half days on the water in a four-day event you know and they're going to catch them every single event you have to know that going into it so you can't expect to find the mother load every single time you have to take every day and look at the conditions look at where you're going and understand that Things are going to change day to day, and you have to keep the conditions open in your mind and not be afraid to abandon everything. Like Dale Hollow, the spot that I ended up finishing, I think I finished ninth there, I had only expected it to be a morning spot. I completely gave up on everything. And then the final day of that event, I ran to that spot, caught two fish, and the bait had left. There was no bait left in that pocket. And everybody else had to scramble. One of the guys lived in there the whole day, and he caught like three fish. But I ended up leaving there and figuring out that if I could find the loons, because those loons can dive like 50 feet. I've watched them on my panoptics down there chasing bait. It's crazy. I didn't believe it until I saw it. But I figured out that if I found the loons, that there was bait there. And if there was bait there, there was bass. Because all over the lake, you know, Dale Hollow sets up a lot like Cumberland, how they always talk about it. It's a pattern lake. If you figure out it in one area, chances are you can run anywhere in the lake and duplicate the same thing. So I looked at it. I said, okay. The thing that's missing in my spot is loons. There's no loons here, so there's no and there's no bait. So there's got to be a correlation. So I ran out, and I said, the only way I'm going to have a shot to win this tournament is to find more bait. And to do that, I need to find the loons. So I would run around, and I found a pocket, you know, in the main, literally in a main creek on a, I was out in the middle of it. It was like a quarter mile wide. And I looked at it, and I said, okay, there's loons right there. So I put my trolling motor down, and I was like, I know that it took me seven hours to get eight bites. I'm like, so I can't just expect to, you know, put my trolling motor down, land on the mother load, and just start catching them. And I put my trolling motor down, and, you know, found the loons, started looking around. All of a sudden, I started seeing suspended fish. Granted, a lot of them were crappy, but every now and then you'd catch a bass. And I threw out, and I caught one that was like three and a half pounds, and I was like, oh, my God, I figured it out. You know, and during a tournament, that's such a hard thing to do. 
and I think that's what most of the guys that you see struggle are the guys that are afraid to abandon what they have and afraid to go look at something that they haven't looked at all through practice. You know, some of my best days on the water aren't even tournament days, they're practice days. How many times do you hear those guys, like we've talked about it, they absolutely smash them in practice and then don't do anything in the tournament because they go back and they fish the exact same water that they had fished. So just taking the lessons that I've learned, I know we've kind of gotten way off topic here, but taking the lessons that I've learned throughout watching as much live footage as I physically can and watching these guys' reactions to different changing elements and watching the guys that change and adapt the right way and watching the guys that don't go back and fish history and how they struggle, taking those lessons, taking like my routine that I've kind of dialed into the last couple of years and, you know, taking some of the lessons that I've learned through fishing competition moving forward, I feel really, really good about going against these guys that are on the pro tours. I like it. Well, I have, I guess maybe like two or three more short things. Um, I guess one, how is our boy, the other Jonathan Kelly going to do at the St. Lawrence this week? Well, he said he was, uh, I talked to him the last couple of days and the conditions up there have been really tough right now. Yeah. They've had a lot of bad weather. It looks like. (laughs) Yeah. They've had a lot of bad weather and, with how much history he has there, he sandbags more than anybody I've met. Like on uh, Pickwick Lake last year, he told me he had 13 pounds and he weighed in 19. That was no joke. He legit told me he had like 13 pounds and he weighed in almost 20. Amazing. But with the, I know, with the dude's knowledge of the St. Lawrence River, you know, he almost won a Toyota Series event up there. He's never really had a bad finish up there. The dude's caught a dirty 30 up there in the spring. He's taught me more about that river than anybody else has. With his knowledge going into it and the amount of history that he has there, I think he's going to do really well. I think he's sandbagging me right now. He said it's been kind of a grind, obviously, because he can't fish some of his best stretches. But I think that's going to play into his favor because everybody else can't fish their best stretches. Like The guys that don't have a lot of history there are going to struggle because they can't get a feel for what the river's actually like. You know, With the winds that we've had, it throws the current off, so you really can't drift and then that also throws the shallow game off because you can't see, so you can't see the bedding fish. I've been up there with Jonathan during, like, when they're prime spawn, and I've seen the areas he knows, and he knows the areas where they're going to be at. I'm not saying he's going to Chris or Corey Johnson this thing, but I'm not surprised if he's able to find the bed. Okay, that's good. That's key for folks still setting their fantasy teams. Actually, I'm not really sure when this is going to come out, so... It might be tomorrow. Yeah, maybe right. someone will listen and be like, oh, yeah, putting putting Jonathan Kelly on. Or maybe I'll if put it out on Thursday through, like, and they're out. Like, we've had a random conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, if they get through that, we're getting to, you know, legit, actionable fantasy advice. Um, I guess the other thing, man, you know, I, I feel like we've covered a lot about you, but before I end this, where, regardless of how this fall goes, you're going to have a big year in 2023. You know, a lot's a lot's going to happen. You're going to fish probably at a level you've never fished before. So where can folks follow you, find you? Uh, basically, if there's anything you want to plug, now's the time. <laughs> so uh, I have a YouTube channel. That's Fight for Your Right Fishing. My Instagram is just Jonathan Deets Fishing. And then my TikTok is also Jonathan Deets Fishing. Those are like my three also. Like Facebook's just Jonathan Deets Fishing as well. It's all kind of the same thing. 
other than fight for your right fishing i really liked the beastie boys in college and then when i decided to make my youtube name i was like i'm gonna go with fight for your right fishing because it sounded like patriotic right okay. and uh you know that's the best way to follow me i'm always putting out I put consistent content out every Tuesday and Friday at 7 p.m. as far as tackle tips and different tricks. You know, my TikToks go out every night for the most part. I put two of them out that are same thing, shorter, different tricks. And then if you want to follow my tournament action, generally that's where you can keep up with me on, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram. That's where I really post a lot of that stuff as far as my tournament results, what I'm doing and how I'm doing. And then, uh, yeah, I just, I'm really looking forward to next year. I have a really good feeling about it, no matter how much it struggles. It's there's nothing else I'd rather struggle doing. Cool. Well, uh, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun watching you uh, compete these last few years. I always enjoy getting to see you in the Northern Division. Um, I'm glad you got it done in the Central Division this year. That's awesome. And uh, man, thanks for coming on and congrats so far. Thanks, Jody. I really appreciate you having me on here. And uh, you know, thanks for the congratulations and. I really enjoy seeing you at weigh-ins and hopping around on a camera boat as well. All right, man. Well, I guess I probably won't see you until, like, the Toyota Series Championship this fall, I assume? Yeah, probably. I'm probably just going to take some time and try to get all my uh, all my ducks in a row for next year. All right. Well, good luck with your ducks, and I'll see you down south in the fall, and uh, hopefully, well, I guess hopefully for your sake, you just win this Bass Regional thing. But if not, I'm going to look forward to seeing a lot of you uh, all around the country in 2023.